Go now, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. All right. Hey, people. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. That's right, people. That's who Jesus is. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. That is who you are. Yeah, it is. Tonight we're going to celebrate that too, by the way. I'm going to testify, people. Yeah, I am. I'm going to totally testify. That is who you are. Yeah, it is. That is who you are. That's right. I'm working. You never stop working. You never stop working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. God in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. Yeah, it is. And he's coming soon, people. Or the rapture's going to take place. Boom. We're going to be out of here in the twinkling of an eye. Yeah, we are. I know the world thinks it's nuts. But it's not, people. Yeah, it's not. So let me ask you something. Are you secure in your salvation? Do you know who you belong to? That's my question for you today. You know, let me ask you something. If you died tonight, do you know if you would make it into heaven? That is my question. You know, we don't talk about that a whole lot here. Just kidding. (laughs) Actually, we do. We talk about it all the time. And um, what I have to tell you is that... um, you know what? One day we're all going to meet the Lord Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. It says, one day at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yeah, I got that memorized. Yeah, I do. And you know what? One day that will happen. And, you know, I think it's the hope and the prayer of the church, the real true church, the remnant of believers that still exist today, that one day, all of this rioting, one day, all of this stuff that's happening in the world will be gone. And there's going to be a millennial kingdom where Jesus is going to be that king. He's going to reign over everything, people. Yeah, can you imagine? 
you know, it, it seems unfathomable right now, right? Because of the fact of where we live. But you know what? One day it's going to happen. One day. And this life is like this. Here today, gone tomorrow. Life is just a vapor. Read the book of Ecclesiastes and it will tell you that. So tonight what we're going to do is I'm going to talk to you for about 20 minutes or so, give or take, and uh, share a couple thoughts with you. And then Bareface is going to take over. Yeah, he is, because I got a meeting I got to get to. I'll probably be late to it because I'm already late, but that's okay. <laughs> I would rather be here with you. True story. Uh, so today is Pentecost Sunday, in case you didn't know that. And there's a lot of people talking about it today. Uh, very significant events have taken place today, uh, especially out there in California, the state I was reared in, raised in, got saved in, believe it or not. Yeah, I know, right? I know people look at the state of California and they think, oh, it's evil, it's of the devil. And really the reality is, is that California has a lot of conservative Christians in it. Um, in fact, I would say there's probably more conservative Christians in California than there are in Tennessee. Uh, and that's a bold statement, just saying. But here's the thing, you know, out there this morning, uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs over at Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, he preached a message that I highly recommend everybody go, go watch on YouTube. Um, it's called... My dear church in California, I've written you a letter. <clears throat> and what I can tell you is that uh, Pastor Jack went, in my opinion, above and beyond uh, in his presentation of the gospel today. And he actually went before his church and he told the truth about what's going on in that state. He talked about just really quickly, he talked about how the media was there all over. The only media that he would allow into Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, was uh, from Dennis Prager University, Prager U. It was the only one that they allowed in the building to get footage. He talked about how he had two attorneys on um, standby in the event that they came and arrested him for giving his sermon today and opening up the church. You know, and he, he even told the church, be careful, because there's a lot of media out here, and they might come and try to take pictures of you in, in a wrong way, you know. So he called it out. And I have to say that not only did I see a humble man, but I saw a very bold man when I watched him this morning. And so I highly encourage you, if you can take two hours out of your day, or if you don't want to watch the worship part, the singing part, just scroll through that part and watch the message. It was over an hour, I think, um, just the message itself. Every minute was worth watching because what he is doing is he's leading pastors in this country to stand up. I posted this this morning on my page, <clears throat> and I'm a little bit emotional about it, because the more I think about it, the more I think, um, you know, we're headed for some tough times, albeit good times, really. So this is what I wrote. I wrote something to think about. For years, I've been talking about the state-run, consumer-driven church in America, uh, I'm I'm uh, talking about Calvary Chapel Chino Hills with Pastor Jack Hibbs. 
But I wrote this on my page. Something to think about. For years, I've been talking about the state-run, consumer-driven church in America. And those of you who watched us for any length of time, you have heard me say that, right? You've heard me actually use that as a um, kind of a snarky title, really. I mean, let's just be honest. I'm being honest. You guys know me. A little bit direct to the point. But, but yeah, I've come down hard on the church in many ways because it is state-run and consumer-driven. But this here is what I wrote this morning. Again, something to think about. For years, I've been talking about the state-run, consumer-driven church in America. Today, we have crossed from the freedom to worship in America to a literal state-run church in America. America no longer has the freedom we did even a few months ago. I warned this was coming after almost a decade of writing about Christian persecution. When you have to sanitize your church, give tickets to your church, like, like Calvary Chapel did, do a parking lot service, social distance, etc., because the government is telling you to, you've lost your freedom, people. I see the true church in America going two ways. First, some may go to jail and be imprisoned for not abiding by the state-run rules, and some will go underground in the house churches. And then I said, watch. And I hit the ellipsis buttons. And it's true, because if you really think about it, that is exactly what's happening in America. It's very subtle. It's very... Uh, fear-driven, and yet think about how we all celebrated Easter this year. Oh yeah, that's right. We were all quarantined, weren't we? How many churches actually met for Easter? That is the cornerstone of the Christian faith, you guys, the resurrection of Christ. And one of the things Jack actually addressed in his message was he apologized for, for basically cowering to the fear that the media and the government was doing, um, as we all should. And he talked about how so many believers walked in fear over faith, and he asked people, have you thought differently about your faith? And yeah, I can tell you, I have. I totally have. And I want to testify. I am going to testify right now, people. Because I know when I'm trying to do something in my own strength versus when I'm doing something in, in, the, in, in God's strength, right? Walking by the Spirit. You guys know I sell Legal Shield, right? I picked up selling Legal Shield because of trying to raise money for our show. Right, we don't have a lot of donors to our show, or we no longer have a sponsor to our show. Um, you know, we run this on a really tight shoestring budget. We really don't have a budget, but you know, last month in April, I literally did sixty meetings, six zero meetings, to sell ninety dollars in premium of Legal Shield. Okay. If I sell $90 worth of Legal Shield, that's basically the equivalent of two full memberships, right? So two full memberships. I had 60 meetings, 60, 60 meetings. At the end of the month, I was so exhausted from all these meetings, 30 one-on-one -on -one meetings, 30 networking meetings, all on Zoom, extremely draining, okay? I love people, but that's like too much people for me. 
And I was running. I was like, man, I got to get this. I can get this little bonus, literally a little bonus under $200. Just a little bonus because we need to earn everything we can, right? I believe is working heartily unto the Lord. <laughs> but it was way too much. Just way too much. And I wasn't putting any time into Bible News Radio. Like I said, this, this, you know, Legal Shield was supposed to be a secondary thing to help support what we're doing here. So at the beginning of this month, I t said, look, Lord, this is what I always do. I should get a t-shirt that says, look, Lord, because that's my longest prayer. <laughs> hey, look, Lord. Look, Lord, you know, my, my attitude's like, look, Lord, hey, you know, you know what I'm doing here. I really need to earn this money, and this is what I need. So this is what I'm going to do. And I told God exactly what I was going to do, which was no more than what I would do if I was meeting in, p in person before pre-COVID stuff. So before that, I was going to two networking meetings a week, doing one-on-ones with anybody who would talk to me and all of that, <clears throat> okay? All month long, zero sales, which means I'm not going to get my bonus until the 27th of May. I'm like going, okay, Lord, look, you know what I need. Look, Lord, you know. All month long till the 27th of May. Zero sales. Then one day I'm talking to my friend. And she says to me, you know what? I think I need to upgrade my plan. I go, cool. That's, that's awesome. Let's do it. Ten points towards my 90. Next day comes around. Stuff happens. I do another one-on-one -on -one meeting with somebody. A couple days later... I do another meeting with somebody and the person says, I'm not sure what I, want, I need to do here. I'm not sure if I need one plan or two. And I'm, and I'm trying to sell him one plan, which was a $39 plan. He says, I need to talk to my wife. I go, okay. And if you're watching, you know who you are. So anyway, long story short, the next day he comes back and he says, I want two plans instead. I said, okay. Same night, I call up a friend just to talk to her because I was looking. If she just bought a house, and I was wondering how she was, and blah blah. And I was just calling her up, to talk. I wasn't calling for Legal Shield actually, just really to talk to her. And um, at the very end of the call, she said, "Call me tomorrow. Let's talk about Legal Shield." That was like out of the blue because I wasn't even talking to her about it. Call her up the next day, and I say, <clears throat> "Hey, okay, you wanted me to call you?" And <laughs> she's like, "Tell me why you need Legal Shield." So I said, "Okay." So I gave her some reasons. She signed up for, for a membership, a whole membership, that, which gave me 128 points. That's over my 90 for my first bonus. Okay. Meanwhile, another friend of mine who I'd actually talked to earlier in the month said, hey, I'm interested in being an associate. So I said, okay. So I called her back up, said, did you want to be an associate still? Or, you know, what's, you know, did you want to do that this month or whatever? Anyway, long story short, you don't get paid when you sign on an associate, but you get more points. If you do, it gets applied. And to make a long story short, she signed up. I got those points and actually got my bigger bonus because of that. All within the last five days of the month. Okay. So I share that because that was the Lord. Right? You, you, you submit to the Lord. He provides for you. He works things out. He makes things work out. And he'll do it again in June. He's done it 18 months in a row for me. Just saying. And, you know, that's the thing. 
when you're putting God first and you're putting your faith first over fear, God makes the way for you. So it's interesting because on this post I wrote on my thing, my friend Sven, who lives in Iceland, he posted this and I want to I want to share it with you because I don't agree with this at all, but I want you to hear how 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 worded this is. <clears throat> it's a little bit lengthy, so hopefully I can get it all out. So he says, this was to the president of Uganda, who, by the way, is a believer. It's my understanding. When speaking to the nation, he said, Ugandan, Ugandan um, President Kaguta Museveni. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Sorry, buddy, if I am not. Warns against people misbehaving during the COVID-19 period. God has a lot of work. He has the whole world to look after. He cannot just be here in Uganda looking after idiots. Below is his reported statement. In a war situation, nobody asks anyone to stay indoors. You stay indoor by choice. In fact, you have a basement. You hide there for as long as hostilities persist. During a war, you don't insist on your freedom. You willingly give it up in exchange for survival. During a war, you don't complain of hunger. You bear hunger and pray that you live to eat again. During a war, you don't argue about opening your business. You close your shop if you have the time and you run for your life. You pray to outlive the war so that you can return to your business, that is, if it's not been looted or destroyed by mortar fire. During a war, you're thankful to God for seeing another day in the land of the living. During a war, you don't worry about your children not going to school. You pray that the government does not forcefully enlist them as soldiers to be trained in the school premises now turned military depot. The world is currently in a state of war. A war without guns and bullets. A war without human soldiers. A war without borders. A war without ceasefire agreements. A war without a war room. A war without sacred zones. The army in this war is without mercy. It is without any milk of human kindness. It is indiscriminate. It has no respect for children, women, or places of worship. This army is not interested in spoils of war. It has no intention of regime change. It is not concerned about the rich mineral resources underneath the earth. It's not even interested in religious, ethnic, or ideological hijab... 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 How do you say that, Randall? Hegemony? I think so. I'm not looking at it, okay, but I'm anyway, guessing that's what you're trying to pronounce. That's the word. Anyway, its ambition has nothing to do with racial su superiority. It is an invisible, fleet-footed, and ruthlessly effective army. Its only agenda is a harvest of death. It is only satiated after turning the world into one big death field. Its capacity to achieve its aim is not in doubt without ground amphibious and aerial machines it has bases in almost every country of the world its movement is not governed by any war convention or protocol in short it's it is a law unto itself it is coronavirus also known as covid19 because it, it announced its destructive presence and intention in the year of our lord in 2019 thankfully this army has a weakness and it can be defeated. It only requires our collective action, discipline, and forbearance. COVID-19 cannot survive social and physical distancing. It only thrives when you confront it. It loves to be confronted. It capitulates in the face of collective social and physical distancing. It bows before good personal hygiene. It's helpless when you take your destiny in your own hands by keeping them sanitized as often as possible. This is not a time to cry about bread and butter like spoiled children. After all, the holy book tells us that man shall not live by bread alone. Let's obey and follow the instructions of the authorities. 
Let's flatten the COVID-19 curve. Let's exercise patience. Let's be our brother's keeper. In no time, we shall regain our freedom, enterprise, and socializing. In the midst of emergency, we practice urgency of service and the urgency of love for others. God bless us all. The best and most intelligent public speech ever made during COVID-19. Off to him, salute a great leader. Now, I read that, and my first thought was, what a load of crap. I know, right? How dare I say that? But that's exactly what I thought, because that's exactly what it is. And my friend Marianne, not Marianne, Mary, who I have known literally since I was 14 years old, she commented. This is what she wrote. An example of George Orwell's news speak, if I ever heard one, angry face. People are too stupid to read between this man's fine-sounding words, all the while nodding their heads as he urges people to give up their rights in the name of God, who would abhor having his name used to control people. It also is in a war. It's a flu, just like the last three coronaviruses and the yearly influenza. Since the original premise is false, all that follows is as well. The president says, during a war, you don't insist on your freedom. You willingly give it up in exchange for survival. In no time, we shall regain our freedom, enterprise, and socializing. This has never happened. When in history has a, when in history has a people ever given up their freedoms to be handed them back without a struggle and a huge cost of human life? Let's be our brother's keeper. Is this not a call to report those who don't adhere to government conformity? I seem to recall that this is the way the communist governments in China and Russia took over their people and continue to control them. I am not my brother's keeper. God is. By the way, just a theological note on that whole term. When you read that comment in Genesis, where it's mentioned, in the conversation that Cain and God were having after Cain killed Abel, I believe it was. I don't know. I think it was after. I think it was after. Wasn't or was it before? <clears throat> it was a snarky comment. It wasn't meant to be. Oh, this is supposed to be. We're loving our neighbor as ourselves. That comment, people misconstrue it all the time. It's not a good thing when when you read it in the context. But anyway, I like what Mary wrote. Mary goes on to say. I am not my brother's keeper, God is. It is my job to give sustenance and support to them, not report them to a tyrannical government. He, he even denies the basic tenets of God. God has a lot of work. He has the whole world to look after. He cannot just be here in Uganda looking after idiots. God is, indeed, everywhere, even watching over idiots in all countries worldwide. It's a sad day when citizens roll over and blindly accept the quarantining of healthy people and embrace the government's removal of basic freedoms with open arms and empty brains. Amen, Mary. And you know what? Therein lies the situation that we're all in, right? So, so Jack Hibbs, getting back to him, says this morning... You know what? In the event I am arrested today for doing this, I have lawyers. I know what I was told to say, etc. As of right now, I don't know if he was or not. I've been looking all day to see if he was arrested. Um, I don't know. I don't know yet if they did or not. Because as we know, when you have Antifa and George Soros planning people all over the place and doing these riots, 
you know, the police aren't doing anything. They're not arresting those people, but they'll come in and they'll arrest godly people. Why? Because the church is the morality, temp you know, thermometer of the world. And the, the church is the one that says, hey, you know what? We're here to help. We're not here to hurt the world. We're here to help the world. And that's what Jesus did, right? And so, yeah, I wrote about the state-run consumer church today. And you know what, you guys? When you have a government telling you how to clean your church, telling you how far you can stand away from somebody, telling you if you can hug somebody, shake their hand, etc., blah, 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 or you can't meet, that's state-run. That's not American freedom, guys. That's communism. And it's baby infants in since you stages, right? We're all hoping for the best, but you know what? Unless the church repents, really repents, that ain't going to happen. And there is a world. There's a world between, there's a war between the devil and God. We already know God wins. But the question is, where are the men and women of faith who know his word, who are willing to stand boldly for it, and who are willing to pay the price if it comes to that? That's what I leave with you. I also want to share with you, just because yesterday I didn't. Um, my text message service is currently on hold until I pay it. <laughs> so I need to, I'm, I'm waiting to see if they're raising the price on me, because if they are, I'm going to end up canceling my text message service. But I want to let you know, if you want to donate to our show, you can do that at BibleNewsRadio.com. That will actually help pay for that because it's over $300 a year for the text message service. Um, Legal Shield. If you haven't signed up yet and you want to, if you want to get in touch with me personally, I'd love to talk to you. I do want to share with you a press release that just came out. Legal Shield saved its members over $20 million in 2019. It says here, with legal concerns rising, millions find affordable local legal advice with companies help legal shields the world's least leading provider of affordable legal and private privacy protection plans announced today it saved nearly 22 million dollars for plan members in 2019 including money from insurance claims personal injury medical malpractice awards unemployment and workers compensation claims disputed and accurate billings and debt collections. Over the last three years, Legal Shield's provider law firms have recovered and received more than $75 million for planned members. The amounts are calculated annually by each of the 40 Legal Shield provider law firms on actual amounts and its members. Clients receive or recoup as a result of the firm's legal services, whether from a letter, a lawsuit, a call made on behalf of the members. If you have ever said, I want to speak to your supervisor, then you need Legal Shield, said Jeff Bell, CEO of Legal Shield. In the midst of the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, consumers today have more legal needs than ever, and we solved the challenge of finding a quality, affordable, and local lawyer. For 48 years, Legal Shield has helped its members stand up against being bullied by neighbors, companies, or even the government at a price they can afford while saving and recovering for them millions. We could not be prouder. In 2019, there were 1,762,000 requests for legal shields for legal services with Legal Shields Network of dedicated law firms across the United States and Canada. Baby boomers, 38%, Gen Xers, 33%, led the way with requests for legal assistance, followed by millennials at 19%. 
The biggest topic of legal concern was consumer finance, typically representing consumer debt issues, followed closely by estate planning, traffic violations, family law, and landlord-tenant disputes. The five states in order with the highest number of legal inquiries were California, Texas, Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina. Can you believe that? As a Legal Shield member, consumers and small business owners can speak with a local lawyer about any legal issue, typically within four hours of inquiry. And Legal Shield's legal plans provide access to qualified law firms with lawyers averaging 22 years of experience covering all 50 states and all provinces and territories in Canada. And through Legal Shield, your mobile app, uh, you can get several free services as well if you just download the Legal Shield mobile app. I'm proud of that. I am proud to represent this company. Uh, so if you need your will done, you need anything of that sort, we have member perks that are attached to that plan. And we also have identity theft protection services. Um, get in touch with me. You know, you can do it through my website and um, join the other 100 people who've signed up under me in the last couple of years to do this because it's a great product and it will help you out. All right, so that's all I got to say. I know Randall's going to take over the rest of the show, even though I went over my time bareface. You okay with that? Yeah, I guess so. I'll you see if I can over. fit the rest of it. No, I could go over, true. Yeah. We are free in America, in this house, to go over on our show whenever our we want. Our channel. Oh. That's right. <laughs> all right, so you want me to just go solo from here? Yeah. All right, I'll do that. Okay. Hey, peeps, if you want to stay tuned in, we're going to get into the word. This is Bible News Radio, after all. We did talk about the news and some about the Bible, but now we're just going to get strictly into the Bible. <coughs> As we look at the news, a lot of noise going on over there. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, as we look at the news, there there is a lot of unrest going on in the world and uh, in this nation that I live in, United States of America. And uh, some difficult things going on, uh, more difficult things going on in other place in the world. And for those who of us who are believers, for some perhaps, <clears throat> excuse me, these events might shake us a little bit and maybe have a crisis of faith or at least things that we thought were going to happen, you know, in a certain time frame and now are not happening and are they going to happen and maybe I understood this. So nothing new under the sun, people. We see these things in scripture and specifically I want to look at John the Baptist who was in a similar situation and the resolution to that crisis, the cure for that calamity, if you will. Let us pray. Father God, you are an awesome God, worthy of every honor, glory, blessing, power, and praise. And we're thankful for this, thy word, which you have preserved throughout the ages, that is a, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, spirits that are receptive to your spirit, that we might receive what you have for us in this time. We offer ourselves and this time to you, to use as you will for our good, your glory, we ask in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. 
All right, now let's uh, take a look at the uh, early history of John, the, the immerser, John the baptizer, Yochanan the baptizer, earlier in his ministry by looking at in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. We read, Now this is the testimony of John, or Yochanan, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Now, when it says the Jews, it's not just ethnic Jews, because Yochanan, John the Baptist, himself was ethnically Jewish and spiritually as, as well. Um, when you see in the scripture the Jews, it's talking about the religious leaders. Anyway, so they ask him, the, the priests and Levites, you know, um, come to him, who are you? Uh, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then are you, Eliyahu? Are you Elijah? And why would they ask that? Well, we can go back to... Um, uh, Malachi and about prophesying the coming of Elijah. Anyway, says, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? What prophet would the capital be? Well, that would be in Exodus. Moses saying that God would raise up a prophet like unto him. Uh, and some confusion, obviously, theologically about that being a different office than the Messiah. Uh, he answered, no. And they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And quoting from Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 40. Um, now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, well, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ? If you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet. What are you doing, you know, what kind of what, what name or what authority do you have to baptize? And John answered them, saying, verse 26, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Beth Barab on uh, the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Verse 29, The next day John saw Yeshua, Jesus, coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. And I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So, John the Baptist, um, the baptizer, um, uh, you know, um, confirmed or, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just secure, I guess, in his own identity as the one that Isaiah prophet about, as that messenger, that voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, uh, that he was coming to prepare the way of the Messiah. And that when he had seen uh, Yeshua, Jesus, be baptized and the Spirit descending upon him, he said, this is, 
you know, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I've seen and testified this is the Son of God. So he seems pretty solid uh, in his faith. Now let's fast forward a few years. Um, because John the Baptist was speaking out against um, the local king, King Herod, who would be Herod Antipas at that time, the grandson of uh, Herod the Great, and and was um, denouncing his marriage to his to Herod's brother's wife. Um, there was basically some, yeah, illegitimate uh, marriage going on there. And um, anyway, he was attacking that, and that ended up getting John thrown into prison. So here is John in prison, uh, and we pick that up in Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 18. We read, Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, like John calling two of his own disciples to him, he was in prison, uh, sent them to Jesus, sent them to Yeshua, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Well, what happened to this? I testify that this is the Son of God, that the one who sent me, uh, you know, said, on whom you see the Spirit descend, this one, you know, is the Messiah. Uh, this is the this is the Christ. What happened to that? He seemed assured and confident that indeed Yeshua was the promised Messiah, the coming one, the anointed one. Uh, what happened? Well, what happened is circumstances. His circumstances in the state that he was in, now in prison, and this great opposition arising, he apparently had in his mind one thing that the Messiah would be, and how or do, and how things would turn out, and how his life might be different, how circumstances might be different, especially personally. And so he has this this crisis of of faith. Not that he doesn't believe that there is going to be Messiah, but whether or not Yeshua is the one, the one that he said, you know, I, I testify that this is the Son of God. Now he's now he's wondering about that earlier um, uh, test uh, testimony of faith. So he sends so he sends some of his disciples out, saying, "Hey, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Should are you the Messiah, or is that someone yet to come?" Verse twenty. When the men had come to him, they said, "John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another?'" And that very hour, he cured many of infirmities. He cured many of infirmities or illnesses, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. Jesus answered them and answered and said to them, "Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard: the blind see, the lame walk." The, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Well, that seems like an awfully long answer to a question 
that is a two-part question. Are you the coming one? Yes or no. Or do we look for another? Well, if he's not the coming one, then yes, you look for another. If he is the coming one, then no, you don't look for another. So really just asking, ask, answering the first part of the question, are you the coming one? Uh, could have been answered with a simple yes or no. That's what he needed to know. So why this long answer? Why this seemingly cryptic answer? Um, you know, hey, John Santos, he wants to know, are you the coming one or to look for another? Well, go tell John the things you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Oh, how is that an answer? Well, that's an answer in very much the same way. When John was asked a question, when a question was asked of him, who are you? Uh, you know, are you the Christ? No, I'm not the Christ. You Elijah? Nope. Are you the prophet? No. Well, who are you then? Well, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, as Isaiah has said. Um, you know, I recognize and real realize it has been revealed to me that what has been prophesied in the scriptures, this is my identity. This is my mission. This is who I am in the kingdom of God. I'm the voice in the wilderness saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his way straight, etc. So that was his answer to that question. When, um, you know, who are you then? He, he understood his mission and his identity from the scriptures, from the Tanakh, uh, specifically from, from the prophet Isaiah, Yeshiyahu. So now, John has his own question. Are you the coming one? Are you the Messiah? Or do we look for another? Yeshua's answer is, go and tell the things you have seen and heard. The blind, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. What is that supposed to mean? Well, how about going back to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 29, uh, Isaiah chapter 32, Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah chapter 42. You find all these prophecies of the Messiah and the things that he is going to do, including giving sight to the blind, making the lame to walk and cleansing lepers and, you know, and giving hearing to the deaf and raising the dead and preaching gospel, preaching the gospel to the poor. Uh, in other words, just as John had uh, answered his identity, his mission from the scriptures to those that asked him, well, how do you recognize the coming one? How do you recognize the Messiah? Same prophet, John, if, if you're familiar with Isaiah, you should know these things that identify the coming one, that identify the Messiah, giving sight to the blind, causing the lame to walk, making the deaf hear, preaching the gospel, the good news to the poor, raising the dead, cleansing lepers. Uh, by knowing the scriptures, you should know uh, this is who I am. It's not, don't let your circumstances um, dictate uh, your belief or cause you to question your faith. Um, go back to the scriptures. And that reminded me, uh, again, 
in Luke chapter 24, we see a, a couple more crises, crises of faith. Um, and you, you may be familiar, hopefully, if you're familiar with the scriptures, uh, the two disciples, one named Cleopas, on the road to Emmaus after after the Lord's death and resurrection, and they're on the road talking to each other and not sure what's going on, what to make of it. And they said, we'd hoped that he would be the Messiah, but now all these things have happened and we're not sure what's going on. You know, these we had, we thought this, we thought he was the Messiah. We hope he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. But circumstances have affected our view. Circumstances have changed what we thought we believed. And, and now we're not really sure whether or not he was the one. And so, you know, all these things have gone on. And of course, Yeshua walking with them, not known to them, uh, he says, what things? Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 19. And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a mighty prophet and deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Our Lord's response, verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moshe, beginning at Moses, and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, that would be graphon in the Greek, or writings, the things concerning himself. See, we, we'd hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel, but, you know, but then all these circumstances happen, and now now we don't know what to think. And she would say, well, that's okay, I understand. These can be trying times, and, and let me give you a hug. <laughs> he said, those foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Um, and beginning Moshe, the Moses, and the prophets, he expounded them in all the scriptures, the writings of things concerning himself. Uh, the Old Testament is, Protestants call it, um, Christians call it, uh, the Tanakh, as Jewish folks, Jewish believers call it, you know, before there was a New Testament, there was the, the Tanakh, the, uh, the Torah, uh, the Nevaim and the Ketuvim, the, the law, the prophets, and the writings. So basically, Yeshua is saying here, and this is before there's a New Testament as well, as they were walking, uh, he said, if you were familiar with the Bible, if you were familiar with the scriptures, if you were familiar with the Tanakh, if, if you were familiar with the law and the prophets and the writings, 
you wouldn't be undone. You wouldn't have this crisis of faith. If you were familiar with the Word of God, you would have known these things were going to happen. You would have seen this was all according to plan, you know, all by the book, all according to the playbook. You know, ought not the Christ who has suffered these things and into it, enter his glory? He, he braided them, he scolded them for slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had written, not their favorite verses, not their cherry-picked, um, you know, favorite scriptures, but in all that the prophets had written. If they were had been familiar with all the prophecies uh, in the New Testament or in the Old Testament in the Tanakh, they would not have been saying we had hoped. You know, we were hoping that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They would have known that he was the one who was in fact redeeming Israel, and. So it goes back to the Word of God, the infallible, inerrant, eternal Word of God. I mean, we could go on and on about the content of the Scriptures, but in both the cases of, of John the Baptist having this crisis of faith, are you the coming one or should we look for another? These disciples on the road to Emmaus, it's because they had either forgotten or weren't aware of what was in the Bible, basically, what was in the Tanakh, what was there. Um, and a similar um, uh, rebuke uh, when he appeared to those um, in Jerusalem that were gathered. Um, well, not a, re not a rebuke per se in this case, um, but, but i he didn't rebuke them, but they also were having a crisis of faith, uh, later on here in Luke chapter 24, being 44, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be filled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets. <laughs> and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance remissions of sins be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So again, if you know the book, you're not surprised. You're not you're not you're not moved, you're not shaken. Um do difficult circumstances arise? Certainly they do. Um you know, are there trying times? Yes. But um while they may um cause us to um shake a little maybe in our flesh um our faith should not be shaken um based upon circumstances if we're firmly rooted in the scriptures firmly rooted in the word of god and 
and do do we have to have a you know a, a perf- perfect knowledge of the scriptures in order to have a unshakable faith it helps um but not absolutely necessary i think of john chapter 6 when yeshua jesus was talking about uh the necessity to eat his flesh and drink his blood and we're not going to get into transubstantiation or anything like that um but we can get on to what he meant about it but i want to look at it from another angle right now and that is that was difficult for people difficult for some disciples some that followed him who sat at his feet john chapter 6 verse 60 therefore many of his disciples when they heard this said this is a hard saying who can understand it when jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this he said to them does this offend you what then if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before it is the spirit who gives life the flesh profits nothing the words that i speak to you are spirit and they are life but there are some of you who do not believe for jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him and he said therefore i've said to you that no one that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him to my father verse 66 from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more this is too difficult we can't deal with it and jesus said to the 12 do you also want to go away oh i love this verse 68 but simon peter answered him lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life also we have come to believe and know that you are the christ the son of the living god Yes, is this the same Peter that would deny him um, later on after um, after after Jesus was arrested and taken to a custody, gone to trial? Yes, um, trying to protect his own flesh and fearful that he might be taken and arrested too. He denied the Lord, um, saying he did not know him, but later went out and wept uh, bitterly um he had a crisis of confidence i would say uh, let fear overtake his faith but um looking at that you know who uh, lord to whom shall we go you alone have the words of eternal life and what um you know why why look why look elsewhere we're not going to find uh anything better anything more sure we've come to believe and know that you are the christ the son of the living god and my exhortation to you uh, this evening and i'm going to look what any of you all are saying out there hi barb twitch mixer facebook pretty quiet out there all right it's hard for me to look at um, comments while i've got scriptures and engineering my own broadcast kind of thing um so want to make sure i didn't miss anything um 
And some of you may be listening and thinking, okay, the Bible, what makes the Bible this and that? It's okay if you grew up in that tradition or that's, you know, that's one thing you can hold on to. And if that makes you feel better, then yeah, look at the Bible, but that doesn't, you know, you can hang on to this fairy tales or whatever. If, if it, if it calms, calms your spirit, makes you feel better. Well, if that works for you, that's great. But, you know, for some people, that's the Bible. For some people, that's the Quran. For some people, that's, you know, desiderata. Um, you know, whatever floats your boat kind of thing. And I would like to end this time. Um, Rob, the late Ravi Zacharias, who passed um, a matter of days ago, a uh, great apologist for the Christian faith, and not apology, saying I'm sorry, the true sense of the word, apologia, uh, from the Greek, um, out of reason, um, coming forth from reason, uh, giving reasons, um, logic uh, for uh, the Christian faith. Um, there's this... Um, Anyway, he was asked about the Bible, and this is quite some time ago. I wanted to share this from you off of uh, YouTube, and I'm typing while I talk to you. I'm not a great, I'm not a great multitasker, as I just proved by with a typo there. Okay. Uh, the, it's really fuzzy video, but the, the video quality is bad, it's old, I think it's like some poorly transferred TV footage. Um, anyway, but check this out. Ravi was a more brilliant man than I'll ever be, and I think that, um, you'll get a lot out of this. So... Here we go. Um, make sure, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, um, could you explain in a manner maybe more pragmatic than we're used to why a person should believe in the word of God as the Bible and why they should basically believe every word it says as opposed to any other holy book and why they should give their entire life to Christ? <laughs> I mean, I know it's a really rough question, but... That's like saying, define God and give three examples. <laughs> Isn't that just the Trinity? Uh, yeah, well, you're, it's a legitimate question. I'm sorry for responding humorously there. Of course, it takes, it takes a whole lot of time. Uh, in my book, Can Man Live Without God, uh, which, was, which was a series of lectures delivered at Harvard, the second part of it deals with that very thing. So let me start off as best as I can. First, I believe that truth as a category does exist. Number two, it is possible in a majority of claims or philosophical and historical statements to verify the truthfulness of those affirmations. Third, I believe there are existential realities from which I cannot run 
which drive me to find the answers to the existential struggles that I live with, not just the philosophical ones. The philosophical ones are real and I have to deal with them, but so are the existential ones. And by the way, existentialism came as a response to the unpaid bills of philosophy. Philosophy had become so cerebral that the passions had been ignored and existentialism came into being and sort of tossed out the rationalistic way of interpreting things and went purely with the gut level feeling a la Sartre and Camus and so on. But I think what we are trying to do is that we are trying to find the bridge between the head and the heart. There are numerous ways of doing this. And the way you start off with by saying, if you take the Bible as the question, then why the Bible and why not any other system of thought? You start off with uh, the scriptures and ask yourself the question. Here there are 66 books by nearly 40 different authors over 1,500 years that are books on history, that are books on philosophical thinking, that are books on theological thinking and systematic thinking. Now, if the Bible made several assertions, one after another, that you found out to be false, either historically or philosophically or in the existential realm, you go further and further, and if you see that kind of systemic contradiction and failure, then you have reason to believe that I cannot really trust this document. It is not in keeping with the way I'm seeing history and reality. But when you look at the scriptures, and by the way, the Bible is a very distinctive piece of literature to any other religious piece of scripture. Any Muslim will tell you that his book, the Quran, is word for word perfect. It is a perfect revelation of Allah in the eye of the Muslim. They will affirm that again and again. That's why no translation in, of the Quran will ever do justice in their estimation of the Quran. It is the perfect expression of, uh, of Allah himself as dictated to Muhammad who recited it. Now, the Bible as we, know, as we know it does not affirm that verbal perfection. I actually have a great deal of difficulty with verbal perfection. Are we really saying that no one word would have been better than the other word in, in, these, in the volume of material? But when you take the scriptures disclosed over centuries and over, over 1500 years, as I said, 40 different writers, 66 books, and you see the prophetic schema all the way down to the person of Christ. Let me give you an example of this. The book of Daniel is written in the late 500s before Christ. And yet when you study the book of Daniel, you begin to see the specifics of a fantastic prophecy. He talks about a massive empire that will come into being and how that, that empire will be, will be divided into four and that empire will be led by what they call a strident, strong he-goat from the west who will be marching several nations underfoot but shall be suddenly cut off and his empire will be divided into four. Those four then emerge into two and those two blend into one. When you take the book of Daniel, written late 500s, and put it pro forma onto Alexander the Great in the 300s before Christ, you see the stridency of Alexander suddenly cut off in his 20s, four kingdoms emerge given to his four generals. Those four come into the two, the Ptolemaic and the Seleucid empires, that emerge then into the Roman Empire, centuries before to be so specific in prophecy. You go to the prophecy of Zechariah, who describes the crucifixion of Christ. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced and weep as a mother weeps for her only son. You go to the prophecy of Isaiah and see the, how the Christ is going to suffer. Immediately you see the supernatural. 
immediately you see the supernatural. So when you take the miraculous element, you take the historic element, you look into the scriptures and you see there is an authenticity and it all points to one perfect person, the person of Christ. Bruce Metzger, who is a scholar from Princeton, made the comment, he said, after you take the 20,000 lines of the New Testament, it is safe for any scholar to say there's at least a 99.6% accuracy. No ancient document, none, has the kind of documentary support that the Bible has. Over 5,000 documents, or even Time magazine in 88, I think, Richard Osling made the comment. One thing we cannot deny the Christians, he said, is the documentation that is available across the centuries. Nothing in ancient literature matches it. Neither Homer, nor uh, Aeschylus, nor any one of the, nor the Gaelic Wars of Caesar, or whatever. So when you've got this kind of documentation, this kind of accuracy, that kind of a person in the person of Christ, I think you've got pretty compelling evidence to see why it is that we need to take Christ very seriously. Thank you. All right, there you go. And that's just a, a short treatise on the, yeah, the history, the, the prophecy. Uh, the just miraculous survival of the scriptures, uh, yeah, prophecy, unity, the the big questions of life and existence that it uh, answers, that historical nature and its its survival over the centuries of so many attempts to destroy it, not just intellectually but physically. And uh, you'll see stuff on YouTube and on the web about, oh, the Bible was written in the 4th century by some, you know, ecclesiastical gathering. And it's like, well, that takes a lot of faith. They, so they invented, they invented the gospel writers, they invented the gospel, and they invented early church writers. They made up these people who lived in the 1st and 2nd century, and they went, who quoted the scripture that they invented. They ended up documents that quoted it. And went and hid those in ancient libraries. And, of course, they they made up Tacitus and Suetonius who wrote about Christianity. And, anyway. Um, no, yeah. As um, uh, Dr. Gary Habermas you know, writes uh, in his book, The Historical Jesus, if we did not have the New Testament at all, uh, we could reassemble um, the bulk of it uh, from extra biblical uh, documents. Those, you know, those from early sources, from early sources that quoted it, and you know, talking about the Christian Church and all that. We would, we would still, the gospel would still be here. Anyway, so Christ is a faith. Um, things not turning out as you supposed uh, in your life. Well, the truth is still the truth. God is still God. The coming one is still the coming one. Messiah is still the Messiah. And rather than looking at circumstances, we need to be looking at the eternal word of God. Yeshua said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Going back to Isaiah, uh, tells us that the, you know the flower will f uh, fade, uh, 
uh, you know, et cetera, but you know, the word of God endures forever. Uh, that's where if that's where we need to put our knowledge and our confidence and then we'll not be shaken otherwise. All right. Well, with that, uh, just seven minutes over, I will leave you folks to get on with the rest of your week. And of course, if you're watching this, watching the replay, then heck, it could be Thursday uh, in the morning, whatever it is. Get on with your day, your afternoon, your evening. And whatever you do, be bold, stand up, and go with God, people. That's the best way to go. Why? Because he loves you. And um, that should give you all the reason to be bold and to stand up and to go with him because of his great love with which he has loved us. Good night. God bless.